including Festival for Peace, A Child's Christmas in Wales, and Dr. Quast and Mr. Skinner's Christmas Dinner. Stay tuned. Plus, we've got free tickets to Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, so stay with us. Welcome to the Arts Report, your weekly fix of arts and culture news and interviews. My name is Adam Janusz, and you're listening to us on CITR 101.9 FM, and we're streaming online at citr.ca. Also with me is Anna with one N, our producer. Hello, Anna. Hello. Uh, and this is our Christmas special. Yes. La, 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 la. Are you a terrorist? Oh. <laughs> That's my Christmas singing. Oh, la, 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 la. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you're being stereotypical. Stereotypical. You're Mexican. You're not. I'm singing Christmas. <laughs> anyway, so Anna's having some trouble, but that's okay. She needs a break, so we're gonna give her a few weeks to take a Christmas break. Um, but uh, can we get some Christmas music? Great. Thanks. That's awesome. Um, yes, this is our Christmas uh, special. This is uh, airing on December the 14th and also the following Wednesday, December the 21st. And we've got um, some lovely Christmas-related shows to tell you about on today's show, including a festival for peace, because of course Christmas is all about peace. So um, there are films uh, that have to do with war, but uh, in the interest of peace. Awareness of War in the Interest of Peace, let's put it that way. There's also A Child's Christmas in Wales, which is based on a Dylan Thomas story about um, about the magic of Christmas from a child's point of view. And uh, that's already playing, playing until the 17th. And uh, we'll tell you about a show called Dr. Quast and Mr. Skinner's Christmas Dinner, which is not even the full title, um, but that is uh, coming to a, um, a local venue very soon and it's going to be done in the form of a radio play so that'll be fun to see live and uh we'll also tell you about something that uh, isn't necessarily christmas related but it's coming out in the christmas uh, season and that's waiting for godot so for a lot of theater lovers and and lovers of samuel beckett's plays it's like a christmas gift and um, so that's coming to the culture at the end of December and is running until January. So that's very exciting. And also, we want to give you um, a pair of passes to see uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And Anna, you're holding for us um, you're holding for us a big bundle. It includes not only the two passes, but what's what's inside? Inside. Uh, first of all, I want to ask you. So this is what they send you with the passes? They send it as a as a promotional gift to, to give away. Okay. What do we have in there? <laughs> it's like Christmas presents. It's like a Christmas present. We have a couple of glow sticks. Glow sticks. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because, you know, when you're in a impossible mission, you need some glow sticks. It helps when I'm in, a, in an impossible mission. There you go. Now you have two of them. Okay, what else? Some uh, very satin-looking gloves. Okay. Uh, they're called... <laughs> the tag says party accessories, and it's a pair of gloves. Okay. Because you don't want to leave your fingerprints when you're in... In the crime scene. Exactly. When you're on a, an impossible mission. Okay, what else? 
this, we shouldn't say the name of this refreshment that we all know about. It's actually been discontinued, I believe. Really? It's a black cola refreshing beverage. We will not identify the brand, but we can tell you it has zero calories. <laughs> that also should go with you on Impossible Missions? Well, you need the sugar high. There you go. I mean, when you're jumping and leaping from buildings and, and from bombs, I mean, come on, it's obvious. And then you have a... Um, Aluminum water bottle. That's cool. Because, you know, after you drink the cola, you have to hydrate. <laughs> exactly. So you can actually put some water in your bottle. Right. And then... Oh, my God. Look at it. A little lamp. A lighter. I mean, not a, I mean, a flashlight. A flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> neither, neither of us can say the word flashlight in English. Wow. This is why we need a Christmas break. <laughs> is to read our English it's dictionary. It's working. It doesn't even work. Oh, man. Not, battery's not included. All right, battery's not included for the tiny um, keychain and flashlight. Of course, a super cap gun. With bullets. Yeah. Are they called bullets? Disco shots. Disc shots. Disc shots. All right. All that's, right. That's a very full... Oh, wait, there's one more. There's one more thing. Because when you're in an impossible mission, you might need this. Harder. Oh yeah, let me try. <laughs> it's a whoopee cushion. If we haven't figured that out. Yeah, it's not just me. You know, I had a burrito. <laughs> Alright, that's cool. So, uh, we want to give away this uh, huge package of, of stuff related to Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which is coming to theaters uh, on December 16th, starring the one and only Tom Cruise. Filmed in Vancouver. Oh, and these tickets are for Silver City Riverport, uh, which is in Richmond. The screening is uh, Wednesday, December 14th, so um, that's today at 7.30. Um, so it's probably going to be a long shot but um, in terms of making it. But you know what? We still have this lovely package of stuff that we'd love to give you. So if you want to uh, send us an email, we can give you this lovely package of the water bottle, the glow sticks, the unidentified cola, uh, a poster of the film, and a whoopee cushion. And you can do that by uh, going to arts.citr.ca. Uh, sorry, that's by emailing us at arts at citr.ca. That's A-R-T-S at citr.ca. All right, before we get on with today's show, I, Anna, I want to share with you a few Christmas wishes that I have. Uh, I don't have a lot that I need this Christmas, but but I do have a few wishes. Um Maybe for the new year. Okay. Uh, one thing I, I would like for 2012 uh, as a Christmas wish from Santa is uh, less parking tickets. <laughs> um, I don't know how I, I keep getting so many, um, but I would like to have less uh, this year. You are a criminal. Huh? You have so many parking tickets. I'm a criminal. <laughs> I'm a law-abiding <laughs> citizen. <laughs> anyway... Um, Another thing I would like to ask for is more of these really beautiful sunny days that we've been having this fall. Yes, that would be lovely. That's a Christmas wish for me, too. Yeah, because usually we get tons and tons of uh, nonstop rain action in the city, but um, it's been really nice for the last little while. A lot of, um, not hot sunny days, but uh, crisp sunny days. So I wish more of those. And then I have one more Christmas wish that um, I'd like to share with you all. And that's for... Intermissions in 
theatrical productions in Vancouver. Um, I don't know what the deal is, but if your show is over an hour and a half long, and especially if it's three hours long, <laughs> SFU Theater, <clears throat> can we please get up to stretch our legs at least once during that time period? I don't know what it is, but in like the last year, I have been... I've been to see so many shows that were really long and didn't give us a chance to get up and stretch our legs, and I can't figure out why. Do you know why they do this? I have absolutely no idea. I would say it's for artistic purposes and, you know, to keep on... Um, so is it like the integrity of the the play, that if yeah, we get up and stretch so our legs, get out we'll forget the everything theater, we've seen? Yeah, you get distracted and everything. But I guess that depends on how the story goes and if you actually have a very good climactic point of the story you can actually let the crowd go on have some water come back and they're still talking about it and like there's something really good i agree with you there's something really good about intermissions and that is that the the the, act, the audience gets to talk about it in the middle of it and then you know looking forward to stay for the second act yeah and if you don't like it then you leave too Right, if it's really bad, then you leave. Then you have a chance to leave. And if you're not stuck on your butt for three hours, you can maybe enjoy the rest of the show a lot better. Exactly. Because your bladder is not exploding, and you sure. don't want to pass out, and you know, you're, 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 you know, you're reinvigorated to see the second half. So please, Vancouver uh, companies, please give us more intermissions in the new year. It's good for concession sales, too. Yeah. Concession items. That's right. So we can buy your candy bars and, and overpriced wine. Come on, give us a chance. Um, especially, I do have to call out um, SFU Theater for having these three-hour epics, like Alice in Wonderland. Like, I, guys, I appreciate the artistic things that you are attempting in your shows. You're very bold. But seriously, it's it's... Don't let us sit in our chairs for three hours. Actually, sorry. The last one I saw Alice uh, in Wonderland that went too long, I have to admit, there was an intermission. But the show was three hours. <laughs> you need two. We need two intermissions <laughs> for that. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. okay. So those are my... Santa, I hope you're listening. <laughs> May your wishes come true. Thank you. All right. Let's get on with uh, the show. <laughs> First up is A Child's Christmas in Wales. Based on the classic Dylan Thomas story about family, holiday rituals, and the childhood wonder of Christmas, A Child's Christmas in Wales is a theatrical production playing now at PAL Studio Theatre and features some of Vancouver's best veteran actors. Directed by Michael Farah and featuring three residents of PAL Performing Arts Lodge, which is a condo development on the edge of Coal Harbour uh, designed for retired artists. And fittingly, instead of the typical condo amenities like a pool or a gym, PAL has a theater. So proceeds of A Child's Christmas in Wales help PAL stay afloat, as well as being a high-quality theater piece on its own. So here's Michael to tell us about the show. Um, well, it's based on the, the Dylan Thomas uh, prose story, A Child's Christmas in Wales, which is sort of like a little bit of a, a day in the life of children uh, Christmas Eve through Christmas night and all of the adventures that they get up to over that sort of 24-hour period. It's very much a memory uh, play in that Dylan Thomas is thinking back to his young childhood while he was living in, in Wales. So it's, it's very much uh, an ode to the Christmas season, 
including, you know, holiday songs, bad Christmas food, and the aunts and uncles that, uh, the obligatory aunt and uncle visit and cousin visit that happens every year. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh- and tell me from from your point of view as the director, what's uh, what is one thing that's I- intriguing about this, or or maybe something that's that's a challenge in in bringing this to life? Yeah, and I think what's intriguing and challenging <laughs> all rolled up is is the particular adaptation that Raw Productions is using. They uh, were able to secure the Canadian rights to the Irish Repertories Company okay. uh, version of A Child's Christmas in Wales. And so what the Irish Repertory Company, which is a professional theater company in New York, did was they took the you know, 17, 18-page uh, story and they kind of deconstructed it. They moved things around uh, passages. They added other Dylan Thomas uh, poetry in it, hmm. and of course added quite a few songs. I think we have about 17 or 18 songs in it wow. as well. Mm-hmm. So that that was a challenge because a lot of people, like the other night we had uh, the Dylan Thomas Society come, 70 of them strong, oh, coming boy. to the show, and they know it, right? They know it inside out, so it was like... It's a lot of pressure because <laughs> How will they accept this deconstruction of this story that they've grown up with? Mm-hmm. In the end, they loved it. They loved the way what was done with it and, and the charm that the cast has brought to it. Mm-hmm. So that was a challenge. And also the challenge, too, is these are some of our uh, Vancouver's most senior actors. As we say in the play, Adam, there's 360 combined years of memory. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, so, you know, there was a challenge of of learning the text, and, you know, I've got them, I'm not, um, it's not a, like, they're up on their feet, there's dance sequences, they're they're singing, so it's it's been a a real challenge and exciting to see these five actors bring it it to life. Yeah, tell me a little bit about um, the sort of community, because, uh, Pal, um, like, for example... You, you don't live at PAL, do you? Like, you're not... I don't live at PAL. Um, there's a sort of a resident company uh, that Camilla Ross and Sean Allen, who are two residents of PAL, uh, they've produced... Up, uh, this is their 12th production, always with the mandate... Because it is... Um, PAL is a, a community uh, for uh, actors, technicians, artists, who are now uh, sort of of, of a certain age, and it's sort of a retirement community. And instead of having the the gym or the pool amenity of the uh, apartment, they have a theater. And so Raw Productions uh, puts on these productions to help subsidize the the cost of living there. Uh, Mm -hmm. So in this particular cast, there's uh, three that live there, and the other two are actually uh, PAL board members okay. uh, that, put, uh, that are, have come together to put on the Christmas show. This is the fourth year that I've directed their Christmas fundraiser. The first three years, we did a radio version of A Christmas Carol right. with a cast of 25. This year, they've changed it up a little bit, so there's a cast of five uh, doing this production. And, and just tell me, what's, uh, what's that been like for you to work with, um, like you say, literally hundreds of years of accumulated uh, talent? Does it make your job a lot easier, or, or does it have you know, a, a unique challenges of its own? No, it, it, it's, it's a delight. 
you know, to work with them. And just, you know, when we were doing the Child's Christmas in Wales, when the, the, the stories they have, the history of, of when they were up in the Yukon doing a lounge tour, I jokingly said, well, how many lounges were there? And, he's, and the actors said to me, three. You know, like, <laughs> you know, Sean Allen has worked with some of the greats of the Broadway stage. And uh, so rehearsals always exciting because they, you know, regale me with these lovely stories of their, their lives. Hmm. Um, so that's pretty amazing. And also, you know, what it also proves is their, their age is only a state of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have actors who are 85 years old in the, in the show, and they're giving it. They're, every night, they're, they're just, you know... It's amazing to watch them. Right, and and acting and their craft is, is one area. You know, maybe the maybe the the body doesn't um, maybe it doesn't get better with age, but but certainly in their craft, uh, you're seeing that um, that they're they're just as good, if not better, than you know yeah. with age. It's like a fine bottle of wine, <laughs> right? They and and they bring such they're they're so comfortable on stage as well. Right, you know, it is literally their second home. Right, and that's always like, for, from my point of view as an audience member, isn't it always so kind of um, refreshing when you see that, that, that the actors on the stage are so relaxed? You can almost sort of Adam, relax yourself, you know, and just trust you, them. You've hit it on the head, whatever the expression is, it's so true, is that when they are comfortable on stage, we as an audience can go, okay, we're in good Good, good hands here, yeah. and yeah, that for sure that rubs off onto the audience. Yeah, and that makes it a joy to watch. It makes it a joy to watch. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you, you'd want to say about a child's uh, no, Christmas in Wales? Uh, no, it's just it's a real delight, and the audiences uh, we've we've been playing for a week. There's a week left, and the audiences have been just there's been standing ovations, Adam, and hmm. just an amazing uh, response to it. So. Um, yeah, we're excited about what the the final week brings to it. All right, and there's uh, Michael Farah speaking about a child's Christmas in Wales in concert. That's the full title, and that will be at uh, that is currently at the Pal Studio Theatre, which is 581 Cardero near Georgia Street, and it's running until Sunday, December the 18th, Wednesday through Sunday, at 8 p.m. And there's a matinee on Sunday uh, at 3 p.m. Tickets to that are $15 and $20 and can be purchased at brownpapertickets.com. All right, so we're going to take a break and then continue on with our uh, Christmas holiday special on the Arts Report. So stay with us. We'll be right back. The music says it all, but we'd like to say it again. Thank you, from all of us at CITR, for your generous support during our 2011 Fun Drive. We just couldn't do it without you. You made a million dreams come true, and so I'm saying thank you, a million to you.
All right, we're back on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at CITR.ca. Uh, Spectral Theater aims to make theater for people who don't like theater. In a crowded entertainment landscape, they want you to forget theater's reputation as old, stuffy, and abstract. Their latest project takes on Christmas, but with an eerie twist. It's called Dr. Quast and Mr. Skinner's Christmas Dinner, a civilized yuletide for civilized folk. And it's about two dear friends sharing a family Christmas get-together. The catch is that they are man-eating cannibals. You have to forgive. <laughs> you have to forgive the re- redundancy there. I mean, is there any other kind of cannibal besides man-eating? man-eating? Mm, yes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's it's being done in a small venue on Powell Street as a live studio as a live radio play. Excuse me. It's being done like a, as a radio show, like this one, but perhaps with less um, trip-ups. So I spoke to Simon Hussey, who's with Spectral Theatre, and we talked about this unique holiday flesh feast play, about their self-proclaimed hole-in-the-wall venue, and also about how to attract non-theatre goers to see more theatre. But first, who exactly are Dr. Quast and Mr. Skinner? If you, if you can imagine we're Sherlock Holmes and Watson or Jeeves and Booster uh, yeah. as as cannibals. <laughs> as cannibals. Yeah. And where did these curious cannibals come from? They are the brainchild of one Mr. David Quast, who is um, uh, another co-artistic director of Spectral here, who recently joined us. He's a brilliant writer as well, an actor. And uh, this is his uh, creation for our our palette of offerings this year. Okay, and as far as uh, Dr. Quast and Mr. Skinner's Christmas dinner, a civilized yuletide for civilized folk, what is this event? It is, there's actually, he's written a trio of these um, these pieces about Dr. Quast and Mr. Skinner. Um, the first one we did last season, um, and they sort of set up like, sort of, there were rather, rather grand epic adventures, and the only way you were able to uh, portray those properly or, and circumvent the necessity to have multiple sets and in, in, uh, international locations, mm-hmm. we do it as a radio play. So we create uh, a studio environment, uh, you know, complete with the on-air lights and the microphones and the Foley table where we have Foley artists doing the, the sound effects live on live as the actors are reading mm-hmm. uh, from the script of the play. Mm-hmm. We did one like we did one last year, and this is the second in the series of three. I guess he has three written, uh, and this one is a Christmas special. Uh-huh. And it's uh, yeah, it has all the you know the earmarks of your your uh, your traditional Christmas uh, farce, but uh, of course this this the twist of cannibalism. There. <laughs> <laughs> the twist of cannibalism, right. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the Christmas dinner is, I don't want to ruin it for you, but... Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We want to keep it uh, keep it under wraps, uh, shall we say. It is to say the Christmas dinner is fresh and succulent. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, what, do you, what do you guys like about this format of, um, of, of doing a radio play? I mean, you mentioned the fact that you can go to a lot of places that you don't actually physically have to go to or build for, but, um, but what do you really like about it? It's... Um... Aside from the, the uh, it's, I, mean, I don't know, there's something, I don't know, I suppose nostalgic about it to a certain yeah. degree. I don't know if you remember the old, like, we're, a lot of us are fond of listening to the old creepy radio plays. And, yeah. You know, The Shadow and 
the secrets, sorry, the weird circle and the inner sanctum and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a little bit of a nostalgia there for us. In, in the old days, they would, there would still be an audience for radio plays mm-hmm. back in the day. There would still be an audience there, but the actors, of course, would be in a studio in front of microphones reading the Play. Right, and for um, the audience, are you concerned at all about making it interesting for them? Like, is it enough to just kind of, well, of course, sit yeah. listen? Uh, the 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 actors we're not just we're not just and the other trick that we do is we're not just actors reading the script; we're mm. actors playing actors reading the script. <laughs> so every actor assumes a persona that then reads the script off the page. So. It's more of a, it's like a play inside of a play. That's really interesting. So they're not just standing up there and, and pretending, you know, to, they're not getting in character reading the lines, but they're also playing the character of uh, a radio play actor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what is that? Why? Like, what is that? Um, how does that help? It, um, because it, it rather than just being, you having static actors sitting mm-hmm. in front of the microphone reading, reading the play, you, you have, there's, there's actually a life uh, behind, <laughs> if you watch the show, uh, there's all the stuff that's going on in the background. There's no dialogue for, uh, so there's actually a, literally a, a sort of a, a subplot happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> in the background, as actors exit and leave the stage, getting drunker and drunker, and <laughs> getting drunker, of course. You on weird props, and yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's something you have to see to fully uh, understand. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, now I want to ask you about um, the venue. Uh, it says in the press release, if you're looking for something new, something tantalizing, something risque, let your feet wander further afield down to 350 Powell Street and discover the hole in the wall that is Spectral Theatre. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that hole in the wall. The hole in the wall is this uh, storefront on Powell Street that um, we rent uh, from time to time to uh, put on these events. Uh it's, we've, we just throw in a light system, throw in some chairs, uh, you know, get, get a bar license, and uh, away we go. And it's basically we've turned it, this little storefront down on Powell Street into a, a 30 to 40 seat black box theater. Hmm. And it's very intimate. You're, the audience is literally, you're, you're literally a foot away from the action on the stage in most cases. And it, and it sounds think, like you... Think, Sorry, go ahead. I think in this show, it's so crammed on the stage that when the... When the when the actors take a bow at the end of the show, their heads are literally in the front row's lap. It's great. <laughs> right. And I imagine you, you that's part of the appeal, maybe, is that it's this sort of improvised set and then it's very kind of rough and tumble, that it's not something, you know, kind of really glossy and polished and at the arts club? It's, yeah, yeah there's definitely an edge, edginess to it. A lot of people uh, comment to how, you know, on that, that edginess of it, but but it's far from far from not glossy. Like we, we still, you know, it's still set up like a theater, and you still recognize it as a theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do follow some certain conventions along those lines. Right, and um, not, sorry, go ahead. It's not completely out of control. Right, it's still you still recognize it as a theater. Right, I suppose you need some of that still. <laughs> it can't yeah. be completely chaotic. <laughs> Um, the company's catchphrase is theater for people who don't like theater. Um, why correct. Why is that your target? Well, when we started it off, when we started Spectral Theater, a lot of us, when, when we got together to do it, uh, to do our first show, it was, it was really uh, it was really about, it was really because, not necessarily because we wanted to do theater. I mean, I was an actor, 
Blake is a painter, a writer. You know, my, my brother was an actor. Um, uh, and Justin was another actor friend of mine. But we'd sort of fallen out of theater and, you know, kind of sort of gotten tired of it. And But my brother had recently graduated from the Capilano College uh, uh, director's course. He was studying to be a director, actor, director. And uh, they wanted to start up this little company because they had the script in mind called Dead Ends. And uh, it was basically, the script was everything you, you they, they always wanted to see on the stage, mm-hmm. but uh, they weren't seeing it anywhere else. And it was basically a script that uh, had, a lot, had a lot of horror themes and science fiction themes and just interesting stuff that uh, we thought a more mainstream audience uh, and when I say mainstream, I mean people that don't even think of theater as entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be something that would appeal to a more a lower a lower common denominator. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and and we just thought it would be interesting to watch and be regarded as something outside of theater altogether. It would be just it would be just a show. It wouldn't actually be classified as theater in our minds. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why we thought theater for people that hate theater. Like yes, we were doing theater, but no, we weren't trying to appeal to the traditional theater audience when we put on the show. In right. fact, on the contrary. Yeah, and and is that, and I imagine that's that's because in in some circles, people people's idea of what theater is is just kind of um, not not helpful to to artists who want to do something cool on stage, right? People think that it's something kind of dry. Yeah, you're and, fighting that. Yeah. Yeah, this is just my, my opinion, but I know I share this opinion with many others. Is that, uh-huh. Yeah, when, when it comes to trying to sell theater to to most people, it's an uphill battle. Right. Yeah. So you're trying to you're trying to turn that around. You're competing against a lot. You're competing against you know uh, the wonderful uh, you know forests and mountains that we have around here. Uh, mm-hmm. the, well, you know the, the nightlife, you know movies, TV, internet. You're competing with a lot of stuff. Yeah, um, and, you, and you obviously feel hopeful that. There is still a place for for theater in in today's entertainment landscape, right? There is, but it's got to be. I, I think, and you know, again, just my opinion, but yeah. there is a place for theater because there's something really, something really uh, visceral about it, very um, electric. You know, yeah. uh, when you're there, uh, and it's a good show. Um, it, there's no experience like it. Um, but yeah, I do think there is, but it has to be savvy. It has to understand its audience. All right, Simon Hussey speaking there, and Dr. Quast and Mr. Skinner's Christmas dinner, A Civilized Yule Time for Civilized Folk, runs Wednesday through to Saturday uh, for two weeks, um, starting on December 7th, so that means it's already running, and it is closing on December the 17th. And you can catch The Mayhem for $16, uh, or for 12 bucks in advance, if you go to the website, which is www.spectraltheater.com. And that will take place at Spectral Theatre Studio, which is 350 Powell Street. And that's between Dunleavy and Gore. Doors are at 7.30 p.m. Show begins at 8. And so the website, again, is spectraltheatre.com. All right, so we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll tell you about uh, the Film Festival for Peace, which is in its ninth year. Uh, We'll be right back. Are you walking to class? Are you grabbing a coffee? Got lunch hour to kill? We invite you to fill the silence of your day with the sound of some live music. Music on the Mind? UBC's newest student concert initiative invites the School of Music out of the concert hall into the schoolyard. Ten concerts at five venues on one campus. 
Let's get music on the mind at UBC. For more information, visit ubcmusiconthemind.com. Sponsored by CITR Radio, Vancouver, BC. All right, we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at citr.ca. Anna, what uh, plans do you have for Christmas? I am going home. Home? To the North Pole? Oh, funny. (laughs) No, you're just being jealous because, you know, I'm going uh, down to Mexico. That's where I'm from. And my family's waiting and, yeah, it's going to be very exciting. I picture your family living in a huge um, palace on the beach in a tropical location. Is that true? Uh, Yes. Kind of? Kind of. (laughs) Without the beach. (laughs) Without the water. And the water and the palace. But it is, it's very nice and warm. I actually just checked the weather for next week. Um, Low of 9, highs of 20. Highs of 20? Yes. So it's, um, it's going to be warm and nice. Just very, I don't know. What type of weather is it? Spring weather? Spring-like Vancouver weather. Exactly. I hate you. Yes, you do. All right, moving on. Uh, a few shows to tell you about that are also Christmas-related and happening in this city include uh, The Nutcracker, Vancouver's treasured holiday tradition, Go Ballet's The Nutcracker. And that's happening from December the 15th until the 18th. And that's going down at the Center in Vancouver for Performing Arts. And it'll feature principal dancers from the American Ballet Theatre. So check out Go Ballet's production of The Nutcracker, and that's December 15th until the 18th. All right, moving on. Besides, uh, besides shopping for crap your loved ones don't need and getting multiple stat holidays in a two-week period, Christmas is also supposed to be about peace on Earth and goodwill toward men. The ninth Annual Film Festival for Peace brings the issues of war and peace to center stage with films on conflicts as wide-ranging as Libya, the recent revolution in Egypt, and even Cuba. In particular, there's a film called Will the Real Terrorist Please Stand Up? It's by award-winning filmmaker Saul Landau, who is also Professor Emeritus at California State University. The film looks at the strange relationship between the U.S. and Cuba over the last 50 years and looks at American terrorist activity in Cuba. I spoke to him from his home in San Francisco, and as well as the film, we talk about a workshop he'll be leading at the Film Festival for Peace about documentary filmmaking. We also talk about the spirit or lack thereof of uh, Christmas. But first, I asked him if his film is trying to add something to the conversation about terrorists, which usually is focused on Muslims and not much on homegrown American terrorists. Well, I mean, what I think it shows you is that, I mean, the Americans began a war against terrorism after the uh, September 2001 bombing of the World Trade Center and the Pentagon when the airplanes... Uh, hijacked by, uh, how would you call them, 19 suicidal maniacs, yeah. uh, uh, did their dirty deed. And George W. Bush, who some of your listeners will remember as uh, former president of the United States. Oh, who could forget? Uh, yes, I'm trying. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, he, he, uh, he proudly proclaimed that he who harbors a terrorist is as guilty as the terrorist. Mm-hmm. And we see in this movie, literally, uh, scores of terrorists who walk the streets of Miami, who get wined and dined, who get honored by the University of Miami, who hold fundraisers. And on the other side, 
There were f- five Cubans who came to the United States to stop terrorism, hmm. and they're in uh, uh, federal penitentiaries throughout the United States serving long sentences. <laughs> I suppose, you know, in defense of George W. Bush, as one person said that when he said he who harbors a terrorist, he wasn't really sure what the word harbors meant. These people were anti-terrorists. I mean, that's the ir- irony. Cuba sent right. essentially their, their agents into the United States to stop terrorism. These agents shared the information they got with the FBI. You know, where were the explosives? Where were the ammunitions and weapons caches? They told the FBI, and the FBI made some rather dramatic findings. You know, they, they got a, a shipload of explosives on the Miami River. It could have done terrible damage, albeit... It was intended for Cuba. Uh, it could have gone off anywhere at any time. Right. So this is the kind of thing they were providing, and you know, no good deed goes unpunished. They were the ones who were arrested and sent to prison after having a trial, and of course, the very neutral spot called Miami. It's about as neutral as a, a trial, uh, you know, venue would be for five Jews being tried in Germany in 1938. <laughs> right. Wow. And where do you see where do you see the relationship uh, going? Um, you know, in the news uh, the other day, we found out that uh, Cuba is now allowing um, the resale of cars, and and of course, there's been a lot of uh, changes uh, in, in, at the the top level. Um, where do you see this relationship between the U.S. and Cuba going in the next while? Well, I I, I remain optimistic. You know, I, I believe that the United States will lift the embargo against Cuba in the year 2050. Is that optimistic? Uh, well, yeah, and I think that probably Fidel will die in 2051, <laughs> you know, after he sees that victory. I don't I don't see any, um, how should I say it, courage inside the in administration, not just this administration, but any administration, right. to take on what has become um, a pit bull of a lobby, and that's the anti-Castro lobby. They don't represent many people, and... It is really hard to say what they stand for other than punish Castro. Uh, whether it's Fidel or Raul, it doesn't matter, punish them. Albeit, you know, I can testify, having made several films with Fidel, that I never saw him miss a meal or a conjugal opportunity. Mm. But, you know, punish, punish, hurt them, try to assassinate them. Uh, and, and this is, of course, uh, poses as sort of a political stance. What they may really want is that the United States armed forces take back Cuba in a bloody war and then restore to them the property of their fathers and grandfathers, along with the power, prestige, and status that comes with it. I don't see any other agenda they have. But this is the group that has, like a pit bull, chomped onto the leg of members of Congress. Right. And the members of Congress are intimidated. If not paid off, they're intimidated. Mm-hmm. And this lobby has been extremely successful. And as we show in the film, essentially, President Reagan brought forth this lobby and kind of privatized Cuba policy. He sort of handed it over to them. Mm-hmm. The, the federal government has to take it back in times of crisis. But as soon as the crisis is over, they give it back to the lobby. And that's where it is. Mm. Uh, listeners might be uh, interested to find out that right now, this small group of virulent anti-Castro members of Congress is just 
you know, a handful of them, have put a rider onto the spending bill, which they push through the House, which now takes back the rights of Cuban Americans to visit members of their family, except once every three years, and it limits the amount of money they can send to members of their family. So they're going to redivide the Cuban family, which has been coming together under President Obama. This is the newest little gambit. Right, and it's and it's another level of um, of what you say, where it's where it's all all about punishing and the emphasis on on punishment. Now, uh, besides the the film, I want to ask you uh, about the workshop that you, that you'll be doing at the festival, um, which is about making a documentary film. Um, I mean, I I don't want you to you know spill the beans on the whole workshop uh, right now, but can you give us a, a sense of what is the the key to to I guess beginning on the the long road because it is a long road isn't it to make a documentary well I think the first step in that is 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 that people who are I think over a certain age maybe what 15 16 (laughs) have already seen hundreds if not thousands of films or television shows and in their minds they have all the elements necessary to make a film Mm so that all of this mystery that surrounds filmmaking, I would like, first of all, to get rid of that right. and show people, you know, that it's not that hard, except there's one part that's hard, and that's getting a good idea. But <laughs> right. you can't make a good... It's hard to make a good film if you don't have a good idea. Yeah, good, good ideas are always have, a good place to start, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, you could have all the skills, you know, you can be great at the camera, you can be a wonderful sound recording, you have can have great acting, everything can be perfect. But if you don't have an ide- a good idea, what goes on the screen is going to go, eh, it's not going to work. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, we've seen some terrible flops with great stars, great directors, even great writers, and they just don't work. The idea was bad. Now, uh, when I was teaching at uh, Cal- California State University in Pomona, um, my students were all very, very agile with the digital technology. Right. But few of them had any ideas or any wisdom. And so that their films were sort of cute, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. And so what I'd like to do with this workshop is to get people, I think this will, this will be a committed group of people, to uh, begin to think about what they're interested in and then how this would be told narratively on the screen how to think about that. And they all know because they've been to the movies. And so it's a matter of dig- digging back into your stored memory <laughs> and sort of cutting it loose. Right, right. And it's about sort of uh, turning inward, which, uh, which maybe isn't always so easy. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stimulation out there. Uh, people aren't uh, maybe as used to um, looking in as much as they are uh, you know, staring out. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, this, you know, if you want to make an impact, I mean, this is, you know, for socially relevant kinds of films or artistically relevant kind of films. And if you're interested in that, it, it sort of does go against the major, how should I say it, cultural more right. of our time, which is shopping. In this time of year, it's uh, certainly uh, the, the biggest thing on everybody's minds, isn't it, when, as they're shopping for, um, for Christmas presents? <laughs> Well, as I said, you know, uh, I like Lewis Black's book, I'm Dreaming of a Black Christmas. Right. That's how I look at Christmas time. I don't want to hear any jingle bells, and I don't want to hear skinny Santas standing in front of Safeway, <laughs> clanging their bells and, and telling me I should give to some something that I know what I, don't even know what I'm giving to. All right, and that 
is Saul Landau, who is uh, perhaps not the most um, optimistic person about uh, Christmas. Um, a Grinch, if you will. But I share, I share his feelings, and I think a lot of people do. Anyway, uh, the Film Festival for Peace is in town. <clears throat> excuse me, is in town December seventeenth and eighteenth, and it's from ten a.m. till nine p.m. on both of those dates, and it's all going down at uh, Britannia Community Center, which is uh, 1661 Napier Street at Commercial Drive. You can get more information on all of the films, including Will the Real Terrorist Please Stand Up and the workshop that um, that is coming with it by going to www.filmfestival... or sorry, Filmfest for Peace. That's www.filmfestforpeace.blogspot.com. So check that out all right we're going to take one more quick break and when we return we'll tell you about waiting for godot so stay with us visit the ubc bookstore's new website at bookstore.ubc.ca get your course materials online rental used and new rental saves you 55 percent you can win a term's worth of rentals on the website and order stationery clothes and more while you're at it bookstore.ubc.ca All right, Samuel Beckett's most famous work, Waiting for Godot, has been done hundreds of times around the world since it first went up in Paris in 1953. A couple of years ago, a production in London's West End featured Patrick Stewart and Sir Ian McKellen as the leads Vladimir and Estragon, who are two tramps waiting on the roadside for some mysterious personage named Godot. Now Vancouver's Blackbird Theatre is bringing Waiting for Godot to Vancouver. I spoke to director John Wright, and we talked about the Beckett estate being notoriously protective of his plays and how that can be a major constraint for any production company. But first, I asked if doing the famous play has been a lifelong dream for John. The answer is no. Uh, I have I have never been as drawn to it as as many people are. And um, it wasn't until very recently that I saw an inkling of what it might be like to actually do it myself. Hmm. And now, um, now I, I, I'm I'm so immersed in it that um, and so um, uh, astonished by all of its power. And all of its humor. Hmm. That um, I'm, I'm really glad I decided to to take the trip. The the um, I, I've seen a lot of productions. I've read it many times. I, it's, it's 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 a part of the canon that you read when you sure. study theater. Yeah. Um, but um, it always seemed to me to be almost too perfect. Uh, and uh, the structure of it, the language in it, seemed to me to be uh, so so brilliantly thought out that I didn't see anything that I could bring to it. Right, something as a director that you could say that you could contribute. Yeah. Also, the productions that I saw, except for one, did not really, um, uh, I don't know... Um, didn't really deliver the goods for me. They right. Didn't, they, I, I found I found um, a lot of it very boring, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the humor forced 
and all those good things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it caused you to think, uh, I don't know. So was it that? Was it the humor? What, what was the in for you? What was it that, that made you kind of look back, uh, look again at this and say, okay, there is something for me to do here? It was a production in um, Saskatoon at the Persephone Theater, uh, which is their professional theater company, um, directed by uh, Del Sergic and starring um, Henry Wolfe um, as one of the two tramps. Henry Wolfe, I think he was, I think he was 80 when they did it. Hmm. Maybe not. Anyway, Henry Wolfe is a, is, is a wonderful actor mm-hmm. who was a childhood friend of Pinter's and grew up knowing all of that music hall stuff that the, the, the play actually um, um, likes to refer to in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he's a great clown. And, uh, and I, I looked at what he did, especially the first act of the play, and thought, um, there's a, I begin to see a reason why we should do this. Mm. Of course, the biggest reason of all is that how can you call yourself a, a a theater company dedicated to the classics and be a professional company and not do Waiting for Godot? <laughs> right. So it was a matter of almost responsibility. I was, yeah, it was, really. It was, it, was, it, was, it was our duty to get that damn thing on the stage. <laughs> yeah. And and how about, um, how about uh, working on um, Beckett, uh, just in the sense of he can be quite... Um, rigid, no? I mean, in terms of... He, he was very firm about how he wants his plays to be done. Do you feel that is a constraint, or what's your opinion on that? It is a constraint, but it doesn't come from Beckett. He, he certainly... He certainly, there certainly were a lot of productions he didn't like, and he even tried to close one down. <laughs> is that right? In, in, uh, in Ireland, believe it or not, in Ireland. Yeah. And he took them to court. And the judge looked at this complaint and said, well, you have to let them do what they want. They're artists, too. Hmm. Threw it out. So, um, anyway, no, but many, many extraordinary productions, some I'm sure might, one might say, uh, some, some people might say had been ruinous to the play, had, were done, but they're fascinating. When he died, uh, his estate took over responsibility, and his estate... Um, doesn't have his scope, and they really can't have. They've got to stick to um, um, the letter of their agreements. Right, the letter of the law, right? That's right. So uh, all all of that has has finished, and then they're active. They closed the production down in the States a couple of years ago. Is that right? Because they, they, because I think because they had it added music, um, they even closed down a video game. No way. On YouTube. A video game called, about Beckett? It was it was called Waiting for Gatto. <laughs> oh my! And it had a little tiny character and a little tiny tree, and then that was Act One. And then the same thing came up again, and that was Act Two. <laughs> Shut them down. <laughs> That's actually quite a funny <laughs> idea for a game, but but they they were not amused. Really? <laughs> wow. So anyway, we we've had to uh, we've had to, had to stick to the um, we had some other plans, but um, 
uh, and, and in theory, we could have asked the um, uh, the bank of the state for permission to do something slightly differently. Oh, I see. Sometimes uh, they have, do grant out of their the goodness of their hearts some freedom. They, they sometimes do, if you ask. Really nicely. And but but you know, there we are. We 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 we're 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 uh, how can I put it? Immersed in the play, doing it as she is written, and it is uh, truly an extraordinary experience. And as for waiting for Godot, what um, do you, do you want to weigh in a little bit on the the, the philosophical aspect? Um, d- does he ever arrive? And 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 who who is he? Um. No, he does not. <laughs> no, he, I don't. I don't mind admitting to you that if you expect to see him, and if anything we have said leads you to believe that you're going to see him, you might want your money back at the end of the show. Um, but it's the journey, and it is in that way, like life. Um, there, uh, life is really if, if if life is nothing else, it is a, our journey through time. And how and what happens to us, and how we change, and how we try to cope with uh, not having enough of whatever we think it is that we need to have, and how we try to find our way to a believable purpose for our existence. Hmm. And now this show is is happening around the Christmas season. Is there any? connection at all to to the themes of, of this time of year? I wish I could tell you that there were. <laughs> can, you, can you try to spin one, maybe? No. Yeah. No, I'll tell you what. The, the, the fact of the matter is, that's the slot that works for us in terms of having, uh, in terms of being able to afford to do it, in terms of having the time in the theater that we need, mm-hmm. in terms of getting a long enough run that's the spot, and we've done, this will be our third play in that slot. And they were all um, uh, happy stories about Christmas. I mean, the first one was um, uh, Euripides' Hecuba, the second one was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and the third one is Waiting for Gatto. <laughs> so obviously um, not happy stories about per- Christmas. Perhaps a, a good break from all the other Christmas stuff going on. How about that? I personally love Christmas, except for all the all, all, all the all the garbage that comes with it. Sure. But really, I love I love carols. I um, I'm uh, I'm a happy camper at Christmas, mm-hmm. and I love the family getting together. Uh, but um, uh, because the world starts commercial world starts gearing up for Christmas in about November four, yeah. uh, I'm I've had Christmas before it gets there. Yeah, exactly. And 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 I think that uh, I enjoy the family at that time, but I think like a lot of people, I'm really ready for something else. Right. Well, perhaps ready for waiting for Godot. Aha. Aha. Well, thanks so much for for your time. Is there anything else you you'd want to say about um, the production uh, before we before we leave off? No, no. I'm. Um, I'm I think it's. Uh, well, I will say um, that. The things that I, I have been saying in the um, in um, 
quoted as saying in the uh, press release and other places mm-hmm. that um, that that the humor in this play will uh, really really works, mm-hmm. and it's the humor that makes the serious stuff work. If you right. aim at being serious with the play, you miss everything. I think. Right. There's almost a certain a sort of balance that if you focus on the comedy, it balances out properly with with the um, the serious nature of it. I, that's what I think. That's hmm. what we'll put. Yeah. Interesting. Great. Yeah. Well, we look forward to, to seeing that that balance on the stage. And, and thanks so much for taking <laughs> some time to uh, to speak about it today. Thank you. All right, and that is John Wright, the director of Waiting for Godot, which is coming to The Colch, and it's coming uh, December the 27th, and it runs until January the 21st. Uh, Note, there is no performance on uh, New Year's Eve. Showtimes are 8 p.m., and on Sundays there is a 2 p.m. matinee. Uh, Tickets are very affordable, uh, starting at $16, which is pretty great for a Colch um, show or sorry for a cult, for a show done at the Colch. It's not a it's not a Colch main production, I suppose. It's a Blackbird Theater uh, production, and you can find out more information by going to blackbirdtheater.ca. All right, so that is bringing us to the end of our program. There are a few things I want to ta- uh, promote before we go. Uh, I do want to tell you about an interesting art. Uh, exhibition art debut that's happening on Tuesday, December the 20th. Let me tell you about it. It's called Roots of Life. Meet exciting local artist Mihela Stefan, I hope I pronounced that right, in her premier Vancouver art exhibition. Roots of Life invites the viewer to accompany her on a retrospective of her life and contemplate the instrumental link between our corporeal bodies and the core elements of nature. So that's uh, Roots of Life, and it's coming to the Libra Room, and that's uh, 1608 Commercial Drive in Vancouver. And the date is uh, Tuesday, December the 20th at 4.30 p.m. for the opening night, and the exhibition will run from December 20th until January 31st. So check that out. And uh, also to tell you about Bah Humbug, which is playing at SFU. Um, more than 150 years old, Charles Dickens' timeless masterpiece, A Christmas Carol, returns. And it's coming to SFU's Goldcorp Center for the Arts in the form of Bah Humbug. And that's from December the 14th until the 18th. So uh, check that out. It also stars award-winning actor Jay Brazo as the irascible Ebenezer Scrooge and featuring the St. James Music Academy Youth Choir. So that's uh, Bah Humbug at SFU Theatre and you can purchase tickets from the Vancouver Playhouse box office um, and tickets for that are $29 for adults and $19 for students and seniors and it's happening from December 14th until the 18th. Alright, so that officially is uh, the end of... Um, the program and also the end of uh, the arts report for 2011. Uh, so, Anna, um, do you do you have any last words from from 2011 before we start a brand new year at the arts report? Um, no, 
just to everyone happy holidays and a happy new year and uh yeah it's gonna be interesting 2012 it's gonna be interesting i'm looking forward to it being the last year of our lives being the last year of our lives of course and i'm yeah. just very interested into what the world is gonna be uh marketing for the next year <laughs> what do you mean marketing maybe we'll get little bags with you know the world is coming <laughs> whoopee cushion for the end of the world <laughs> Be ready. We can only hope. Uh, yeah, you can email us if you want the package for Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which includes uh, uh, cola, gloves, glow sticks, and a whoopee cushion. Everything you need for when the end of the world comes. Right? There Everything you, you need, you'll so have you'll your package. you'll be ready package. for 2012. There you go. So email us. That's arts, A-R-T-S, at C-I-T-R dot C-A, and uh, you can get your package of goodies. All right, well, uh, for Anna and uh, myself, Adam Janusz, have a lovely holiday uh, Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa uh, season uh, this December, and uh, we'll be back in uh, January for uh, more exciting episodes of The Arts Report, including on January 4th, we'll do a uh, Best Of special, where we will play the best interviews of uh, 2011 as we uh, get ready for another year of great interviews. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Merry Christmas, and bye-bye. <laughs>